Welcome to this week's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, broadcasting on 3CR. Recording from a squat in Detroit. Coming up are a few conversations I had with uh, some crew in San Francisco with uh, DJ Kuba and Andy Blue. We had a discussion at Muddy Waters on Valencia in the Tenderloin about uh, gentrification pressures. I am sliding in some filming on the side and hoping some of my dear listeners will slap me around the ears in another six, eight weeks and say, come on, where's your first edit? Gotta get this out. Anyway, Kuba's a legendary graffiti artist of San Fran and the Clarion Alley Mural Project, which is one of the world's best graffiti alleys. Andy Blue is a local housing activist with a focus on tenants' rights. And starting off is a conversation with a young homeless woman Felicia, I met, yeah, colouring in a beautiful sign that said, trying to survive. Let's begin with this one. All right, we're sitting on the corner of Emery and 40th Street here in Emeryville, San Francisco. And I've just passed a young lady writing a sign that has uh, an alluring title for all renegade economists, just trying to survive, grateful for any help. How are you going here? Uh, could be better. It could be worse. <laughs> and so what is survival on the streets of Emeryville these days? Uh, how much have things changed in the last five or so years? Uh, well, I'm not sure how things have changed just in this city because I'm from Montana and I got here on a freight train. I was traveling. But I think overall um, the change over the past five years is like affected everywhere on somewhat of the same level, just because of um, like how things, well, I mean, I'm just coming from a perspective of how things are on the streets, because I've lived out outdoors like the whole time, pretty much. And it's just like, it's hard because when you're already out here, you're pretty much stuck out here because of the, you know, cost of everything is like, you can't just jump back into like getting a job and then getting housing and stuff like that because you have to have a lump sum of money to do anything you know and it's like when you're just living day to day you just have to worry about how you're going to eat your next meal so that you know I feel like there's a, a lot of like aid that you can get from social security offices and stuff or the social service department but uh, it's like, you know, you pretty much have to have a clean record to get the right kind of help. So if you have, you know, if you live on the streets and you're hungry and you get caught for shoplifting, you know, food or something too many times, say you have so many of those charges, now you're a felon, now you can't get a job or like do a bunch of shit. So it's like, you know. So uh, in Australia, if you don't have a, a postal address, you can't receive Social Security, I think. Uh, you know, you have those problems here. If you've got no fixed address, uh, it's really difficult to actually get any of that aid anyway. Uh, I'm not sure about other areas, but um, where we're at right now, like Oakland and Emeryville and I think San Francisco too, you can use the, um, the social services office, you can use their um, building as an address for yourself. So I think that the the address thing isn't um, 
an issue for getting help from them, but from other services it is. Uh, it's an issue, definitely, um, in certain circumstances. Especially for, like, uh, couples. Like, if you're a single person on the streets, um, sometimes you can get, you know, housing aid or, like, you can at least get a, a mailbox set up in your name. But if, you know, if you're, like, a family or more than one person out here that are living together, it's, like, hard to do things in groups when it comes to getting addresses and, and stuff to have mail sent to. So. It's a pity because if you could live as a bit of a crew... Um, share a few resources, maybe, you know, have some land where you could grow just a little bit of, <laughs> you know, some herbs or something, um, just to throw on whatever you're eating, uh, it'd be, be a nice start, wouldn't it? But it's such a challenge to get that. I mean, are there any rivers around here where people set up base and, um, you know, that sort of thing? Uh, not that I know, well, not that I know of because we're in the Bay Area, so it's like, you know, any water that's around here, I think, would be pretty polluted and stuff anyway. Uh, so I'm not sure that they could really do much setting up around, you know, anything because it's not clean. Everywhere's so polluted and, like, torn apart. And the people that are living in groups in, uh, in certain areas are just like, you know, if you're in the city, you're pretty much in trouble because in the city there's, there's you know, the streets are just like flooded with drugs and all sorts of things out here. So kids living in groups are just putting themselves in bad situations because they're, you know, they're not, uh, they're not benefiting from it. They're just, you know, they end up getting in a bunch of trouble together and stuff but you have to really get out of out of the city environment in order to like thrive in a group type situation and pretty much would have to leave the bay in general I think because all that's around here is just metropolitan area you know it's just city and, and yeah well it's um it's it's a nightmare when there's just no no second chance to get back on the on the game sort of thing and um, you know what do people think about out of here when they've got you know options of yeah just roughing it or maybe um, or, or taking drugs you know it's like one or the other how do you survive how do you have hope and um, that's the challenge isn't it keeping hope what keeps you ticking along um my dog <laughs> I have a dog uh, Tigger, that's just my best friend. It just helps to have somebody out here that, uh, you know, you have to have, you have to hang around people that want something better for themselves. And that's the only, only uh, thing that keeps me going every day is to surround myself with people who are, you know, like trying to do something different and actually have a desire to move forward in life. Because it's, you know, it is easy to get discouraged out here. And so, you know, I don't blame people for losing hope and just giving up, but it's like I don't want to surround myself with that type of people either. So, you know, and if I can't find people that are thinking on the same, same wavelength as myself, then I just hang out alone, you know, because, uh, yeah, you can't. It's really easy to get sucked into that, like, mentality of, you know, losing hope and whatever, so, you know. And I'm an artist, so I just, you know, just do art and read and whatever to keep my mind Do you up. look like you got a few pens and pencils here? What sort of art do you do? 
Uh, really, I would do every kind of art, but I, I mean, I'm confined to like cardboard and markers right now. But I really prefer doing 3D art, like um, the pottery and glass work and stuff. But I don't have the equipment, or if I did have the equipment, I don't have the place to put it. So. So it's so hard. You come out of high school and you're like, uh, you know, I'm going to do this. I'm, you know, trying to make it as an artist or whatever. And um, yeah, it sounds like here in America, you you just need one one uh, risky summer or something. And um, yeah, it's hard to 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 get back on the loop. Um, but yeah, it just sucks for me the price of housing and the effect that puts on artists. You know, they can't be as creative as they want to. They have to have some sort of commercial element to what they are working on. Then they go to a gallery and the gallery charges them 30-50% commission on their work. And the gallery, of course, is having to pay high rents just to afford where they're at. So everyone's sort of uh, drowning in uh, somewhere to live, for, you know, a right to a place on this planet. And, yeah, I mean, does that resonate, that sort of thinking? Yeah, yeah, and that's what, that's what sucks about the situation, too, is when you, because you put it like what you just said, you know, everybody is sort of in the same boat, it's just like, you know, so, I mean, you want to, like, find somewhere to place the blame for all this, but you can't really, you don't know where to, you know, even think on, on that level, because everybody is suffering just as much as the person below them, you know? or above them or whatever. So it's like, I don't even know where in this chain of people or like levels of society that you would begin to even fix uh, something like this, you know, because I don't know where it's all stemming from to begin with. If we're all suffering from it, then what, you know? Well, we say um, it's, it's all hidden away in the detail of the tax code. It's a tax system that encourages this shit. So, um, yeah, the good people don't get the incentives, but the property speculators, the monopolists, they're the ones who get all the easy money. So, um, yeah, we're sort of taught not to look at economics, but um, that's where the bullshit really sits. So, yeah, I'm lucky to be here uh, shooting around, trying to um, film up uh, the next documentary, The Global Gentrification Game. So... Um, yeah, it's it's just crazy. He's, you know, a friend of mine here. Uh, he spent um, three years living in the same place. Uh, travels the world. Software millionaire. Has plenty of money. He was living in, uh, I think, even the Tenderloin there, and he missed one rental payment. They only accepted a check to send it. You know, he had to send a check. There he was working in Korea. He forgot it. He had 72 hours to pay the check. They didn't. Um, didn't put the notice on the front door so his mum could see what was happening and bang there he oh, is wow. um, kicked out and Airbnb fell through four times he finally got the fifth place for us to stay at so uh, you know even people in that sort of world are um, struggling with what's going on here and uh, God almighty it's just so so frustrating to see these after effects and this beautiful culture of San Francisco the arts you know hub of of America really under threat mm-hmm is it like this everywhere right now? Like, have you have you uh, been to many other cities recently and and seen this sort of thing happening there? I mean, 
Well, the global cities are the ones who are at the forefront. So LA, San Fran, New York, um, Sydney, Melbourne, London, all that Anglosphere, Van Vancouver, um, Toronto, you know. We're, basically, wherever it's beautiful and wherever uh, Western culture has been established, I mean, Hong Kong's going through the roof, you know, you've seen the protests there maybe last year, they're feeling it. It's all around the world. Um, Beijing, you know, they've got massive problems. It, this international money is just flowing around the world, circling the globe, looking to make easy profits. and. Um, it's globalization uh, personified what's happening in the global property market that we're back in sort of bubble territory so soon after the 2008 explosion. Yeah. I can only imagine. Cafe style with Cuba and Andy. And Tell me, first of all, why do you give such a shit? <laughs> why do I give yeah, such a shit? Man, why do I give such a the, shit? Is it because the pop topic is popular these days? Well, I've been doing this for come 15 years okay, now. That's, so, that's, um, okay, then you're yeah. not just doing this because... Be well, my main thing is I understand the economic theory behind it and... Um, I am inspired that we, c if we had this system, I was explaining to Andy, it would be more efficient than what the neoliberals have. But what the fuck is a neoliberal? Well, George, like George, George Bush, neoconservative, all those sort of things. Yeah, exactly. You call, them le you call Bush neoliberal? That's your idea? Well, that's of a neoliberalist? That's what um, Naomi me, Klein... but a fucking cow, modern, modern day, a new millennium cowboy. Everyone in the world agrees upon the definition of neoliberal, but like most folks in the United States don't know what... Like most pit. folks in the United States, your typical person off the street does not know what neoliberalism is. Yeah. That's, a, that's a fact. I mean, wow. only, in, only in academic circles... Do people, for the most part, know, understand, and agree with the definition of neoliberals? Well, it's not a popular term amongst the lay yet. Let's put it that way. You know, when you say neoliberal, I don't know what the fuck you're talking mm. about. What about neoliberal? And then you use Bush as an example of liberalism? It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> That's why it's... I mean, to, who, to talk, what's liberal you, to you, when bro? When you talk about neoliberals in the United States... You can't be sure that a person even understands what you're talking about. Yeah. Like, so you're but everyone saying, else in the world that's yeah. agreed upon what yeah. liberalism is. I mean, yeah. but it's, I see. It's a term that is not... <laughs> so what about neo... Popular, so neo-conservative? If you give me a fucking example, I might agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> Other than Bush. I mean, oh, neoliberalism is like... It's yeah. like defined by the economic policy. I mean, it's like Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan... Milton Friedman. I mean, that's where it comes from. Ronald Reagan. It's this. Yeah. Those it's are right-wing zealots. Yeah. But, but that's you why call them neoliberal. I call them right-wing zealots. A, it's a term. It's not. If not, it's just straight up dry white toast. But that's that's why it's such a poor. <laughs> that's why it's in the South a, we call them crackers. Dry white it toast. It refers strictly <laughs> to like the, the <laughs> economic policies of privatization. I mean, that's what neoliberalism is. People hear you hear neoliberal and they think you mean, oh, like Obama? Or, I mean, who is neoliberal? I mean, everyone's yeah. neoliberal now, right? What, what do you mean privatization? That's another term so that's only of, like, of your own 
world so view instead, you know, like, that you're just throwing around so as if like, everyone goes along with it. So if like this parkland, like this land belongs to the public, it's, it's owned ostensibly by the public, but you you give it to a corporation. Or you let you, them you, take you over. I got you. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Now you don't water, have to explain. Or the water system is is public, and then you it becomes privatized. It, it's something that was more or less public, and then yeah. some jackass got hold of it and took right. it for himself. Right. Yeah. Well, you you might as well be honest and say that <laughs> instead of using their terms. I when you agree. use their terms, you don't know whose fucking side you're on. No, I, I, I agree that, like... It's, Do you understand it's, that? It's Do not you even to talk about neoliberals and free or free in the United liberal. States because people don't, don't know what that means. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, it's a code word. It's, it is these English. Are, That's the upper crust English. Yeah. Yeah. Well... Indubitably. <laughs> My fine-feathered friend. <laughs> So we're worried here about gentrification and the push that's coming through. There's what's this big development? What's your opinion on the big development at um, 16th and Market? Well, here? I just Andy's told just you telling the roots me about of it, it. At least since I've been around here. Yeah, so it's, um, yeah, it was developers trying to develop. Yeah, and David would. I learned a lesson. There's a good lesson to be learned from this. He did this single-handedly with his little politicos, you know. And I learned that a few people. If they're hardcore about preventing those bastards from moving in, can do it. Mm. And their work that they do amongst themselves, even just a small group that are dedicated, can make changes for everybody, even a whole community. Mm. David taught me that. David Shapiro. No, Spiro. Spiro. David yeah, he Spiro. Grew up in Mount Washington, the same as me. This. You know, middle upper middle class Jewish neighborhood in Baltimore, but the block I lived on was a a, a, a segregated little block that serviced the folks up on the hill. Yeah. Catholics owned all those mansions, and then in the fifties they sold them to Jews. My dad needed to get me into a white school, and he wasn't waiting for busing. He just basically took me to the school and said, "This is where he's going." Yeah. You know, but. He could get me through the door, but in order to how they divide people is that if you have to live in a certain neighborhood to attend a certain school. Yep. So if you're living in this fucking slum, how are you going to move to this rich white neighborhood to go to that school? Even though your father said, you know, look, he paid taxes as much as any white person. You know, this is where he wanted me to go because he knew those nigger schools. I mean, I'd never learn anything. Literally. I'm sure the same as in your country with Aboriginals. I mean, you treat them the same way. So I'm not telling you anything you haven't seen yourself. If you're all yeah. about this so-called topic. Yeah, well, it's, we're, we're up against the ropes. It's never been worse, really, for Indigenous people in our country. So um, A, po- a sure. post-colonial... Uh, not colonial, what's the word? Post-reconstruction uh, block that was there from since Reconstruction started, right after the war. Civil. And um, so it was this, you know, it's like a microcosm of a city. It's a little slum, and then it's a huge, and all the white folks lived up on a hill. It's basically a forest with mansions dotted periodically. And there was one block that they reserved for, you know, their peons. Mm which is where I grew up. Because uh, the whole point of that 
was to get me into that school. And there were trees around there. Martin Luther King Boulevard, when they put that right through the heart of the city, they destroyed all the trees. So the people have to breathe all day. You know, that's why even a 10-mile rate, a 10-block, 10 miles apart, the life expectancy for those white folks is 70. We live to about 50, 60. You know, the white 20. expectancy between you and me, if you were here, would be at least 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's about 20 but years in Australia. it's only 10 miles apart. Yeah. And it's not just the lack of good air. Bad water, bad, no uh, supermarkets at all. You know, just that fast food bullshit. I mean, that's the kind of con conditions we grew up in here. Yeah. So when you use terms like gentrification, you don't know where the fuck you're coming from with that. I know what you mean, but I've got to make a point here if yeah. you're going to sit and have this gadget in my face. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so give it, what is your word on gentrification then? You've got cri a critical point on, on that l language. It's nothing more than... I'll tell you what gentrification is. A wagon train circle. Or a wagon train... Uh, what is the word when they're coming? Uh, um, when people... Convoy. It's like a wagon train convoy of uh, settlers. That's gentrification, you know, and it's rawest form. And, and as soon as the natives saw these people, I mean, there goes the fucking neighborhood. This, their only aim was to eventually murder them and take their land. You'd be surprised how many people got murdered on these very spots. If you, if you ever get... You want to learn about gentrification? Dude, read U.S. history or your own. I mean, why are you asking me this? I mean, it should be self-explanatory. I just don't understand what you... Uh, don't. Uh, are you asking because you don't know? Or are you asking just to get hear, a various opinion? Yeah, various opinions. From a colonial the... subject. <laughs> Straight up. Well, I'm interested in the street culture cross um, to gentrification and how uh, graffiti artists are pretty well pawns in the system to develop. And the tagline to my um, documentary uh -huh. is going to be, even Banksy works for the landlords. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you mean, even Banksy? Well, where I don't know his how artwork you... appears... I kind of actually admire that guy. Uh, so, I love his work, but yeah, what I'm trying to say is the all-encompassing nature of land ownership yeah. sees that wherever his artwork appears, the land values, the cafe, hipness... Oh, yeah, things, he targets those, those spots. And you know why he does it. He's a clever street artist. That's how he gets his notoriety. Yeah. So, he of course, he's going... I mean, he did I, I, did, I mean, just any writer... Yeah, I see you don't understand it's, our culture. It's pretty. It was pretty clever. It was. Uh, it was like a pipe coming out of the wall, and he um, put like a Native American chief, I think, like that wall I painted in 1988. So right, but so so, and, and it's like exactly, and uh, and he's holding the. It makes it look like he's holding the pipe, like the stencil. It goes into the existing hardware of the wall and and then there was a like a sign on top I don't know I actually co-opted it myself and put like a 
So at the time, we were trying to fight the sit-lie law, you know, the law to make it illegal to sit on the sidewalk. And we put a no-sit-lie uh, sign on top of the Banksy, so it looked like the, um, the, uh, the chief or whatever was holding a no-on-sit-lie sign that we successfully got quite viral. In fact, if you Google, like, uh, no-on-sit-lie San Francisco, you'll see that Banksy uh, stencil holding the no-on-sit-lie sign. But anyhow, yeah. Interesting stuff. So you you work with Camp Community, I mean, uh, Clarion Alley. Yeah, I'm one of the That's exactly, exactly, yeah. I've seen you in the, in the, um, in the in the documentaries and the and those old foot in the old footage of you in there like back yeah 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 I mean, I've never lived anywhere except around here yeah. I mean, six, six years in Maui and six six months in San Diego otherwise I've been in this neighborhood yeah well we, we've been talking about the speed of change and the fact San Francisco is a global city and how um, that speculative capital is just coming in to buy, buy up. So you, know, you can put money in the bank for 0.25% or you can buy real estate and earn $100,000 a year. You know? See, that's way out of my league. I, I mean, I don't even really understand a lot of what you just said, yeah. but I can tell you that I've seen this coast to coast now. Yeah. I, I can tell you what it was like in Baltimore just before I moved here. In 1983, I li- my great-grandmother lived in a part of Baltimore, West Baltimore, that had brownstones. You know, and by 83, suddenly, you know, the white power structure just damn near gave us all the major American cities. I mean, can you imagine Hitler being insane enough to give Berlin to the Jews? This is your ghetto, boy. We'll just take the rest of the continent. If you can call it that. So what city are you talking about? Baltimore. Baltimore. Yeah. And suddenly, all these white presents started popping up periodically throughout that neighborhood. Which is a high crime, high violence, dope-ridden community. With rats galore. Big Norwegian rats that they imported over here along with themselves, you know, that uh, carry disease, make no mistake about it. Mm. And my father used to say, you could tell when they moving in the neighborhood just by the fucking cars they drive. You know, these fucking toothpaste tubes on wheels. You know, brothers ride the, driving the deuce and a quarter, straight up. You know I mean? It's weird how different so-called ethnicities choose different automotive as in this country as a matter of I guess a status symbol for lack of a better term but I mean it varies from group to group you know it's like if a rich white dude's driving a car it's probably a Bentley or some shit like that or Mercedes brother's gonna get an El Dorado caddy (laughs) it's how I remember growing up the steel was made in my hometown, and they shipped it to Detroit, where they made the cars. Mm. <laughs> well, that's where I'm going next, is Detroit. So, um, really? Yeah. Ideal spot for your... That's what I'm saying. So I'm going to try and get the inside of the story there, too. Um, but, yeah, everywhere around the planet's happening. I'm staying with a, um English woman and her son who have bought a warehouse on the river, one kilometre from the centre of Detroit. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, so I'm staying with gentrifiers. <laughs> hey, tell me something. So, awesome. Well, thanks so much for this impromptu chat. Yeah, I don't mind doing it. I mean, it gives me a chance to relate on this stuff because I yeah. think about it all the time. Yeah. yeah. And it's just, no matter how a neighborhood changes, everything changes. It just happens to be changing this way. You know, being ourselves, we ran the risk of losing our community just by being ourselves. That's what's weird. And that's what the story that's I'm my, trying to that's tell. That's my personal take. Yeah. How do we, like, I mean, fuck. we want a community I, I like to, to think improve. I'm one of the niggas that made this community what it is in mm. terms of street art at least. Yeah, yeah. Because that's all I've done since I've been here. Mm. And luckily I landed into a community, community that would tolerate me. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for listening. Contact via Twitter at Earthsharing. Detroit for a week and then off to New York. Broadcasting from 3CR, Melbourne, Australia.